Last week on Infinite Rabbit Hole. Tonight, we have someone coming in from good old northern Illinois, but she grew up in southern Wisconsin. Caitlin, welcome to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. After the radio station admitted that it was all a story, many people called in to state their opinion about how they believe they were really listening to people die at the hands of a werewolf. With all the sightings and everything all throughout you know, the whole freaking world of a Bigfoot Sasquatch, there's got to be, not all of them can be this one bear throughout how many years. If there was a mangy black bear, holy moly, I could see someone looking at that and being like, that's a dang werewolf. The Gugwe, or Face Eater type, is known to have very similar physical features to the typical Bray Road Beast description. I think uh, Indian burial grounds have a lot more to do with stuff than we give them credit for. There is a lot of historical evidence for an upright walking canine in history. It makes sense that there there would be there could be a population of kangaroos. They're big, scary, terrifying creatures. If I saw one in the dark that was all beefed up, I I'd I'd be shitting my pants. Infinite Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Jeremy, and today we're going to jump back into the path of the Beasts of Bray Road. Yes, that's right. We're going to jump into the actual exciting stuff. I honestly thought that the other stuff was exciting too, but I know some people out there are going to be like, that was a really dumbass episode. That's okay. I don't care. It's my podcast. Say what you want. I will. What I'm going to say is that I thought it was good. Anyways, enough about that. Let's bring in the hosts. Jacob. Yes, sir. How are those Cheetos? Man, these Cheetos are spicy, and I love them. And yeah, I'm ready to get into the exciting part, so I can see if any of my rambling speculation has any basis in what actually happened. So I'm I'm pretty stoked. Cool. Kid, how you doing? I'm good. Chilling like a villain. You ready to start getting into some sightings, some stories? Yep. I'm ready to hear all about the kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> then I saw it eating grass. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we are rejoined by my personal wife's best friend, Caitlin. Caitlin, how you doing? I'm good. Hanging in there, ready to hear some of these stories. Yeah. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Thanks for having me. It's been a whole week. <laughs> seven days, I think. No, it's been about seven minutes. Yeah, and a snack. <laughs> and a snack. So for for those that don't really know, when we do these two-part episodes, we kind of just do them all in one night. So we just got done with the other one, and now we're doing this one. Jeremy has had us do uh, 
like three episodes back to back to back one time till we were all burnt out and couldn't remember our own names. Like it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> like he makes he works us to the bone. It's crazy. It's all and we, to provide quality entertainment for the listeners. For free. We don't make anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It is what it is. We enjoy it. It is what it is. So do you guys want to just chit chat? You guys want to go straight into the stories? I want to get into it. You know what? I want Kid. Kid Kanzar. And pick on you today. Of course. So what we didn't do last Always. episode was talk about how people could uh, find us and all that stuff. Oh, okay. Would you well, like to tell everybody what they could do? Well, you could go to infiniterabbithole.com and check out all the cool things there. We've got the merch shop and everything. Leave us a voicemail. I want somebody to leave us a voicemail. So we got this cool little feature on the website. So do that. Leave us a voicemail, please. Uh, you can find us at our Facebook group, which is if you go on Facebook and look us up, it's the little black logo. The white logo is our information page. So for news updates, and then you could uh, join our little group with the black logo as well. Uh, yeah. You did a great job. Thanks. Trying my best flew. over here. You didn't hit the ground. That was yeah. awesome. Try my best over here. Good job. Getting better at this. We're gonna make you do it over and over and over again until you till you don't even worry about it. Until you're stuttering over your words like me and forget words. <laughs> I do that anyways. I do it all the time. I at least I at least spell check my stuff at least. I don't. I know. <laughs> oh snap. <laughs> <laughs> she said, Jeremy, you're so dumb. I heard it. Yes, she did. <laughs> yes, she did. Anyways, head on over to infiniterabbithole.com and hit the little microphone button down in the bottom right-hand side. Leave us a voicemail, and we will play it at the beginning of the next episode. I made a post on our Facebook group. And nobody's done it. We had one. I shared it. I, wa- I want a voicemail. I think that's a really cool feature, so I, I so would too. love for somebody to leave us a voicemail. We should start and- with ourselves. I'll record a voicemail tonight. Hey, this is Jake from the Infinite Rabbit Hole Podcast, yeah. and you're listening to the Infinite Rabbit Hole Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll get Caitlin to do it. I'll, I'll make Caitlin do it. I can do it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. I'm all in. Do it. Anyways, <laughs> she should do it. I will. That's that's as far as I'm going to go about forcing her to do anything. Mm. <laughs> Katie, Katie was already mad at me for uh, making her do this. Oh, you didn't make me. I was so excited when you she asked. She was like, me. she's busy. And I was like, I am, hey, but it doesn't even matter. Gosh, that was a perfect impression of her. Dude, <laughs> perfect. Uh, is right on. So mad. She's going to oh, be so yeah, mad. She, yeah, she is. But I love her. She's so beautiful. That's Aww. not going to make things better. No, it's not. You're right. Anyways, <laughs> let's get into the uh, first reports of The Beast of Bray Road. In Linda Godfrey's book, she tells of many different witness accounts and it all starts with the accounts of Pat Lester, the local bus driver, and a teenager by the name of Doris Gibson. Lester was recounting the story told to her by her daughter Lori about her experience witnessing a large dog-like man when Gibson dropped her jaw in awe as she claimed to also have seen something strange in the area of Bray Road, but was too afraid to tell anyone. From there, Lester's daughter Lori was discussing the sighting with an animal control officer 
a man by the name of John Fredrickson in his office when a couple of books fell off the shelf and the room was overcome with an eeriness that concerned both Lori and Mr. Fredrickson. Yeah, I wonder why the books were falling off the shelf. Soon after Miss Godfrey began her investigation, she found her way to John Fredrickson's office to ask him about these outrageous rumors surrounding a werewolf near Bray Road. As she was in the middle of asking him, he reached into the drawer of his desk and grabbed a rather full manila folder and plopped it on the desk. On the front of the folder in big black letters was the word werewolf, and inside were all of the reports that he had received involving this so-called werewolf of Bray and nearby Bowers Road. Before we jump into the encounters, I wanted to state that I did not include encounters that any author seemed to have solitary rights to, meaning if I only found a report in one book, I left it alone, as that is something that the author worked hard for and is a great reason to buy their, their book. I did, however, compile a ton of stories involving this creature, and there are many, many more from sources who wish to stay anonymous or from sources that authors could not find names for, I would highly recommend to anyone that wants to dive into the creature and the backstory and history of upright walking canids to purchase Linda S. Godfrey's book, The Beast of Bray Road, Tailing Wisconsin's Werewolf, and the other great books I have listed in the sources in the description of this episode. Godfrey's book is full of excellent information that goes beyond the small and brief history of the beast and really dives into many different backgrounds and theories surrounding lycanthropes throughout history and around the world. All right, guys. So we're about to really jump in here. What do you think? I think I need to go to the bookstore. Bring it on. Lay it on. Um, I have one thing to ask. Uh-oh. Why would she be afraid to tell anybody that she saw something like a, I don't know, a, a monster or something? Look, I, I, I get it. If you see a Bigfoot, all right, people are going to say you're crazy. If you say you saw aliens, people are going to say you're crazy or whatever, right? But if you have any sort of thought that maybe someone that lives near you could be in danger if they wander outside and stuff like that, like I don't care how crazy it would make me look, if I saw some if I saw a bear in my neighborhood, which would be very uncommon in Southern <laughs> California, right? <laughs> but if I, or a big dog or something like that, or even if, you know, we lived in a more rural area, or especially if we lived in a more rural area, I would let everybody I know, or I'd make them aware that there is something that's in proximity of where people are, because I care about the people I live near, unless all of your neighbors were just D-bags. In which case, you'd be like, oh, I didn't want to say anything because who knows? Maybe the property value will go down if <laughs> the killings start, you know? But I'm just like, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I think that that's a little bit kind of fishy. Just be like, oh, yeah, I saw something too, but I, I was too scared to say anything. And be like, or too selfish. <laughs> you know? Well, I don't know. Just my thoughts on it. She's a high schooler. Right. So that's that's where I'm gonna start off with is scumbag. <laughs> I was yeah. a scumbag in high school too. Yeah. I'll about, I'll I'll say that. I was too. <laughs> I was not. I've always been an upstanding citizen, except for that phase 
for 10 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was uh, that phase. Okay, I may I may have missed that part cuz the I kind of just latched onto that statement so hard. It was just like I go, oh, I was too scared to say anything. It's be like, okay. What's it going to hear you? Well, <laughs> remember in the first first episode, I talked about put a bookmark here because this mm-hmm. was the conversation between uh the bus driver and one of the students that she buses around. Yeah. We're about to jump into one of the stories from one of the kids on the bus. Mm. Lori Andreezy, I believe, is the first one. Let me double check. Yeah, Lori Andreezy. So you guys ready to jump into her story? Yep. Let's do this. So, Lori Andreezy's story took place two years prior in 1989 at about 1.30 in the morning. As she approached the creature on the side of the road with her car, she noticed that whatever it was seemed to be squatting and facing away from her. Other than the black hair and the broadness of the animal, she said she mostly noticed the pointed ears on top of its head and that it had elbows pointing away from her and long claws attached to the hands. She could see as eventually, and long claws attached to the hand she could see as she eventually slowly passed it. As her vehicle passed the creature, she realized that the creature was not crouching, but kneeling, and with its long clawed hand, it seemed to be holding a dead animal in what Andreezy assumed was roadkill. The creature then slowly turned its head to look at her car, and she realized that its eyes were reflective, and she got her first good look at the front of the animal. Her best guess was that the creature was about the size of an average man, but only 150 pounds. Mm-hmm. And to her surprise, it did not run off after looking at the disturbance she was causing behind it. Instead, it just continued to do whatever it was doing to the carcass. By the end of her short experience with the now famous Beast of Bray Road, she could only describe it as matching the description of a traditional werewolf. During her interview with Linda Godfrey, Lori Andreezy stated, quote, To this day, I believe it was satanic. It was just my feeling." I don't really believe in werewolves per se, but I believe something could be well conjured up. My grandmother was very religious and she believed it too. She would go on to stress to Miss Godfrey that earlier reports about her encounter were false when they quoted her as saying that the animal was very big and muscular. Miss Godfrey quoted her in her book stating, quote, I wouldn't want to give anyone the impression that what I saw was anything but ordinary human size. All right, Jake, so you got a little bit of a description there. What do you think, man? Reflective eyes is a good standout for an animal because um, it'd be a nocturnal animal. And uh, reflecting the eyes back out, getting that like red eye effect or whatever. It'd be like a dog, right? You shine your dog with a flashlight, you can see their eyes glowing quote-unquote glowing right they're just reflecting the light so that's already a good description you know i don't know how many people like when they're faking a story would be able to fake specific details like that that would lead more into real animals versus leaving that detail out and then be like you know having to wing it at at a later date you know humans we don't have reflective eyes unless you're taking a picture in like the 90s with a Polaroid and you have those red, yeah. red eyes. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm curious what the science is behind that because 
you know, if we went out into the middle of the woods and hid behind a bush and someone shined a flashlight at us, our eyes wouldn't glow. But anything that has any sense of nocturnalism, their eyes would glow from reflecting the light. Mm -hmm. Ladies, what do you think? Kangaroos. <laughs> Still on the kangaroos. <laughs> what do you think, Caitlin? Anything? I don't know. I think it's too hard to tell, so I need more stories. You got it. I got some stories for you then. Real quick. So she initially said that she came upon it and it was facing away from her. Okay, so her car was facing forward, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. And it was also facing forward. Right, so its back was to her, but she right. said that it, it had elbows, but they were facing away from her. So the elbows were backwards, or it had its... That was the first thing I got, which is like, so it had legs with a knee for a forearms. Well, think of like taking a kneel, right? And you have something well, Yeah, in but your you'd hand. be like this, not like this. Yeah. I don't know, maybe you it's know? got really long arms, dude. Who knows? Maybe it had two broken arms. <laughs> actually kind of hurt. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> My arms are too sore. Anyway, but yeah. So that so but I was able to bypass that when the reflective eyes thing came up because I like that in sightings. Because honestly, like if you were to shine an animal with your headlight, especially at night, one of the most noticeable things would be they're very bright reflective eyes so the fact that she noted that would lead more into this being a real animal versus you know a made-up story um you know it's a really easy detail but i've heard a lot of really fake stories and that stuff gets left out when people yeah. are just making it up as they go so couldn't agree more ready to jump in the next story mm -hmm. talk about doris gibson Doris. Old Doris. Old Doris Gibson. All right. Doris Gibson's story took place on October 31st, Halloween night, 1991, and begins when she felt like she ran something over with her car big enough to make her front tire come off of the ground. When she got out of her car and noticed nothing in front of her car, but when she looked behind her car, she noticed this enormous thing running at her on two legs. She barely made it back into her car before it reached for the rear end and she slammed her foot on the gas and took off as fast as she could. Doris described the creature as being bigger than her and covered in dark hair. She never actually witnessed the bottom half of the creature and cannot claim for certain that it ran at her on two legs, but for how tall the creature was and how the way its top half was postured during the brief chase, she assumes that the creature was running on two legs. She claimed that the hair on its body was long, brown, and straight, and that the head of the creature did not look like what others described as looking like a German shepherd. And unlike Lori and Dreezy's creature, this one was massive and looked very strong. But she also did not claim that the creature looked anything like a werewolf. And she described it as, quote, I'd say it was a freak of nature. Gibson claimed that later that night, she witnessed the creature again after picking up a young friend from a Halloween party. The young girl also witnessed the creature, and Doris simply sped by it and didn't look back. Doris Gibson was able to show Linda Godfrey the marks on the back of her car, 
in which she claimed came from the beast. But Mrs. Godfrey stated, quote, She later showed them to me, but of course, it would be hard to prove what made them. So I was thinking like getting scratches on a car and stuff. Like, it has to be rather abrasive to do that. But then again, like I have a truck that I've gone down some trails with and like little whippy tree branches scratch up paint. So yeah, but those have got to be like some hefty scratches is what I'm thinking because it's got to have a set of claws on it, right? Well, and that wouldn't be too difficult to say that this was an animal that did it because, you know, claws would be relatively spaced out and probably be consistent all the way across the drag unless it was like a single claw scratch, in which case it yeah. could be anything and you could just be like, oh, you know, it could just as easily be, you know, a bush that you parked next to that scratched up your car versus, you know, an animal that did that. But again, I mean, she's pretty real with it. She said, I didn't see the bottom half of the animal, but it was taller. And its posture was in such a way that it more than likely wasn't running on all fours. So, huh? I'm just writing down all my notes and stuff as as you go. Using it really? to build my opinion to say at the very end that this is all fake. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're like, hmm, yes, 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 oh, straight hair, yes, fake, yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, so why, it says that she's seen it again later, but why, like, in a different spot? Or did she go the exact same way? And the likelihood that it would be in the exact same place that she saw it before. That was something else that kind of stuck out to me about this particular story is, you know, if you hadn't, if you had something happen to you like this, like you were chased down by this wolfman beast creature in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, why would you go the other way, the same route? Right. Well, it, I guess it comes to that there really wasn't another route to take. I mean, think about, like you said, Elkhorn, right? There's not a lot yeah. going on out there. Yeah. I mean, Bowers Road runs parallel to it, but it's still, you know, a good couple farming blocks away. You know what I'm saying? It's uh right. Think of how big farms and crops are and all that stuff. I mean, it's pretty good distance away. I mean, you know how those those county roads get. Uh-huh. They're huge. Is it uncommon for people that live out there in the boonies? To carry a firearm? No. Very common. Right. right. I, I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe you'll get into one, but I want to see the report of someone just, like, they get spooked by it, and they just whip out their, their gun and just shoot it in the face. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> you know? I mean, every time, you know, I, I go out into the woods, I'm armed every single time, you know, because it could be, it could be as easy as, like, a, predatory animal and as you know terrifying as a predatory person you know there's all kinds of crazies out there but in any case it's just like you know or especially being in a car run it down (laughs) i don't know i know that flight or flight kicks in and all that sort of stuff and people you know panic in different ways and stuff and this is just me talking and if i was in that situation i really don't know what i would do and i mean this is all just easy girl 
Yeah, I mean, this is easy to say. I'd fill my pants, obviously, and then blame it on the beast for doing it to me. But <laughs> um, the beast crapped my pants for me. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm on board. All right, moving along. Yeah, go ahead, move on. Oh, cool. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right, Heather Bowie and Russell Guest encounter, or Bowie, Heather Bowie. We'll go with Bowie. Heather Bowie was only 10 or 11 years old when she had her encounter with the Beast of Bray Road. In December of 1990, Heather and a small group of her friends and cousins were walking home when they witnessed what they described through their tears as a large dog, or what they thought was a dog, until it stood up. She went on to describe to her parents a large, upright walking dog with silvery fur and a face that reminded her of a coyote's. The group mentioned that the creature stared at them, and they were all very scared and didn't know what the animal was planning. As a few members began to run, all of the others followed suit, and this caused the creature to chase them. With those that took the opportunities to look back at the creature, noticing that it ran on all fours like a dog, by the time they reached the house, they noticed that it was already walking back into the field. Russell Guest was another one of those children that were chased by the creature and was a classmate of Linda Godfrey's son, who would tell his mother that Russell commonly discussed the encounter at school. All of the other children also held up the same story as Heather and Russell, but their parents did not give permission to Miss Godfrey to include their names in her book. The only thing that was inconsistent between the children's reports was that Heather described the hair as silvery and all of the other children claimed that the hair was dark brown. What do you think? I think Heather might be colorblind. Heather might be. Color mm -hmm. deficiency at least. <laughs> Silver, dark brown, whatever. Whatever. The same thing. It's the same, same color. Thing. Same thing. Yeah. Anyways, so that, now you're getting kids into this, right? I don't buy this one. No? No. Um, well, I can only base it off of what I know, right? And I mentioned Fred already, right? 170-pound dog. And he's got bad hips. And yet, he can outrun me. And it's terrifying, right? He's He's like a giant German shepherd, and he can just haul. Unless this 10-year-old is an Olympic sprinter, um... I don't think she's outrunning most dogs or canine-type animals in a full dead sprint in chase mode. That's I think what that stood this is to me. I think this is completely made up, and just maybe she heard a bunch of stuff and like people were talking about it, and kids have wild imaginations and stuff because this doesn't add up at all, unless the wild animal or the savage beast man. Was just like, oh, I'm gonna get you. Oh, you're you're getting away, you know all that sort of stuff. It's just like, you know, most dogs can outrun kids. You know that's why it's they're so dangerous and stuff. You, you know, but it's like, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not buying that. Yeah, that that caught my attention too because this is clearly a very big animal, so it's got a very big stride. I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine a group of eight-year-old kids 
were able to outrun an animal that big with that kind of stride. Like, I feel like that, I feel like this thing would have caught up to them in two strides and they'd be done for, Mm -hmm. you know, like. This also reminds me of just childhood imagination. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe, maybe they did see a dog on the hill or in the field and they're like, oh, it's a wolf or it's a dog man or whatever. And saw a coyote in the field, heard the news stories about the dog man, put two and two together. Who knows? Maybe they did run away from it and they're just like, you know, the sound of themselves running. They're like, it's chasing us. Like, I don't want to take I don't want to take everything away from their story and say that they completely made it up. But certainly, you know, the whole part of the animal chasing after them and somehow couldn't catch up to these, you know, uh, you know, world record holding 10 year olds and uh, <laughs> in an Olympic sprinting match. <laughs> it was just like, all right, come on now. Um, yeah. Could they have seen something? Sure. You know. I don't think so. I actually. I couldn't agree with what you first said, man. It's just childhood imagination. I really do. Sounds like they were just playing a game. Maybe you got a little too real for them. And, uh... Caitlin's mean mugging us like she personally knows these kids. And she's like, no, you guys are, no. you guys are idiots. Let me tell you the face. real story. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the, it's the resting concentration. <laughs> I put the knitting down. This is what you get. See? This is what happens. Oh. Well, it's because you have a cat in your lap. Yeah, she keeps digging her nails in, but I feel bad. Making muffins. She needs love. What do you think, Caitlin? You think the kids are full of crap? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, and I don't know, though, because I think, like, there's an incident when I was younger where I was, you know, wandering out, playing in the woods, Mm -hmm. and I came across, like, this homeless person chased us off. Like, didn't chase us, chase us, but, like made some mm-hmm. weird noises we ran off terrified mm-hmm. tried to go back later and like show my parents like hey this is where we were at nothing couldn't find it again not to save my life so who's to say like it happened i know it happened mm-hmm. but no one believed that it happened because we couldn't recreate so maybe they didn't outrun like you said maybe they just heard their own footsteps whatever i don't believe that they could have outran whatever if it truly wanted to Mm -hmm. you know but if it's something in the realm of dog man is it more man does it know is it trying just to scare them away or Mm -hmm. did it actually have an intention of harm if that they just wanted to be scared away then then they don't want to catch them they just want to scare them, which it could have done, and then turned around. See? And that's that's what we strive for in the infinite rabbit hole, not having an echo chamber. So, yeah. Cool. So, she's going on the side of maybe they did see something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids are kids, and it's just hard as a kid to bring. I mean, she, my son saw a spider the, a couple days ago. He's like, help me. And I was like, okay, cool. So he came and, you know, we, we walked out there together. He's like, I don't remember where it was. <laughs> anywhere outside. It could have been anywhere, right? Anywhere outside. And he's like, yeah, I don't remember where it was. <laughs> okay. Good enough. So, But if it would have been a snake, you would have ripped your yard apart trying to find that thing. No. <laughs> you would like, it has to die. <laughs> I would have locked the doors. Locking your doors wasn't going to help, but. Listen, Kenzar. Man, I'm just giving you the truth. <laughs> All right, moving on. We're moving on. Events. 
now that we talked about snakes, we're moving on. Find it in your sock drawer. He's got the heebie-jeebies now. Right? It's going to be in your boots. <laughs> Let's talk about other early reports. <laughs> now he's sweating. <laughs> Continue, Jeremy. I'm continuing, Kenzar. <laughs> A report was filed to the then Lakeland Animal Shelter Director, Marty Boner. Borner. Boner. Borner. <laughs> Marty Borner. <laughs> a report about a strange and large animal tracks in the snow by Simon's Feed Mill off of Potter's Road in 1991. The tracks were strange as they were very large and had claw marks with them. There is no photographic proof or castings of these tracks, only the report. Another incident was reported by an employee of the Elkhorn Burger King in which the witness described a, quote, man-like creature running with extreme speed and power. This Burger King is located on a street that leads to Bray Road. The animal shelter of Lakeland didn't know what to make of all the reports being filed about this creature. Fredrickson was even quoted by Godfrey saying, The county's getting stranger and stranger. One thing was clear by the end of 91. The locals and authorities were taking note of the strange phenomenon that they didn't know was only the beginning. So there's a couple other very brief ones from the earlier times of the Beast and Brave Road. What do you guys think about that? My opinion is the same. Alright. Yeah, there's not, not a lot of, not a lot to go off of the on those ones. I was really trying to find pictures of that, that trackway with the the footprints of this creature with the claws in them and everything. But just couldn't find anything. Probably look like kangaroo prints. <laughs> Probably. Have you ever seen a kangaroo print? They're long. Yeah, they're wild looking. That's the only thing that like deters me from kangaroos is if it's if it's running on all kangaroos hop. They mm-hmm. do like a little hop thing. They don't necessarily walk around, right? So this thing's walking. I guess it can't be a kangaroo. I guess. We'll see. After news spread around the country, Elkhorn and the immediate area around it came to life with more reports from people who have been seeing something throughout the years, but were too shy or afraid to say anything. One of those people was a man by the name of Joe Shackleman. Shackleman, a nonfiction author and then editor of the labor paper in Kenosha, Wisconsin, contacted Godfrey as soon as he heard the story on the local news. The story he was to tell Mrs. Godfrey was not his own, but rather belonged to his now-deceased father. Mark Shackleman was working at a convent, a place called St. Coletta, about 35 miles northwest of Elkhorn, in 1958, when he witnessed a creature on two separate nights stalking around the convent. During the first event, Mr. Shackleman witnessed an upright walking creature on top of an Indian burial mound, acting as if it were clawing at the ground. As Mark approached the creature, he noticed that the hands seemed to be very strange. The three middle fingers were much larger than the pinky and thumb. He even went as far as to describe them as shriveled. He didn't get too close to the creature before it ran away. When he returned the next day to investigate the top of the mound, he saw claw marks clearly embedded into the ground. 
On the second night, Shackleman returned to the mound with a flashlight, and lo and behold, the creature was back. This time, instead of running away, it stood up and stared right at him. Joe, Mark's son, remembers vividly the description his father gave to him about the creature. The creature was covered in long, dark hair, stood around six feet tall, and had an incredibly bad odor about it. As it made eye contact with Mark, it gave him a human-sounding growl, in which seemed to have been trying to say something, but all that came out was, Gadara, which Joe, the son, described as neo-human-like speech. Through the few remaining years of Mark's life, he and his son talked infrequently about the encounter, but on one occasion Joe was able to get his father to open up a little more than normal. Mark gave Joe a description of the creature, and Joe did his best to sketch the father's description. This sketch can be seen on page 33 of Linda Godfrey's book, The Beast of Bray Road. Shortly after he sketched his father's description of the creature, Mark told Joe, that damn thing came straight out of hell. The only two people Mark told about these encounters were his wife and much later on in life, his son. Nobody else in the family or in his circle of friends and co-workers claimed to know anything about Mark Shackleman's story. Gotera. <laughs> yeah. Gotera. Which they pointed out in the book was Actually, uh, a city in the Bible? Are you familiar with that, Jake? Nope. I was yeah. going to ask if it had any meaning or if it was just random gibberish. So, Yeah, apparently Gadara. I searched it, but I don't want to be wrong. Right, Gadara in some texts, uh, Gadaris was an ancient Hellenistic city for a long time. Mm. Yeah, some ancient Hellenistic city. Greek. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That encounter changed anybody's opinion? I drew out the hand, right? I'm just like, oh, yeah. And then I looked at my hand. I was like, my three fingers in the middle are longer than my pinky and my thumb. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't prove anything. Yeah. Um, but it was consistent, at least. I mean... The stature, the long, dark, straight hair was consistent. It's hard to go based off of people saying that their dead relative had an encounter that they never told anybody else. Because, I mean, unless they like wrote it down and be like, here's their handwriting. But it's just like, I think it's, it's easy to say, oh, oh yeah, my... My grandpa had an encounter, and he's been dead for five years, so you're never going to actually find out if that's real or not, you know, or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't discredit somebody's story just because they've passed away because, well, people do that. So, I don't know. Kind of weird with the, the word, though. Gotara? Uh, yeah, I mean, that sounds like, if you want to find a a video of a cat or a dog that sounds like they're saying people words, you know, you can find yeah, those true. all over the place. Like that one cat that's like, blah, 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 long Johnson. And it's just like, <laughs> Oh shoot, the cat's speaking. And it's just like, no, 
it just sounds similar to some some words that we have and it's absolute gibberish and doesn't make any sense you know and it's just like i don't know well and that's the thing too if that family is a religious family and knew you know would mm-hmm. someone else who have heard that noise interpreted what was said any differently hmm. for yeah. all we know that noise was in fact just gibberish or just a growl yeah yeah they just they their mind made up what they thought they heard and that's what they heard what's that and that was the end of it what's that uh i'm sure one of you guys know what's that um word for when people see like a shape in the clouds and they you know it i see this in the clouds and all sorts of stuff there's like a people often throw this on uh, bigfoot forums because someone will see some sort of shape in the trees and they'll be like oh it's a sasquatch i think it starts with a p i don't know but it's like it's basically perception no it's a it's a word that describes what your brain is doing when you're seeing shapes or hearing sounds and you're attributing it to other things that it's not because of your, um, the way that you perceive things, but not perception. Uh, no idea. Something itis. I I don't really know. Itis. Yeah. (laughs) So basically, yeah, I, I agree with, uh, I agree with what was said that like, if there's already a train of focus going on, then you could hear gibberish and say that, you know, well, it sounded like this, you know, if you're already thinking about that. Or like, I don't know how to describe, you know, I'm having a hard time really putting to words what I'm thinking. But I don't think that the the growl or anything had anything to do with anything. Because I mean, like, I'm a Christian guy, and I haven't read the entire Bible. But I'm reading my way through it, and I've gotten through quite a bit. And uh, yeah, if right off the bat, I mean, I'm just like gatara, you know. I'm just making fun of it because it meant nothing to me yeah, <laughs> to hear right. that, you know. Uh, some r- very small Greek city that was probably mentioned once. Wow, <laughs> you know, it, it just didn't stick out to me. So I mean. I don't think that, that had any basis in anything except that, you know, someone was able to say, oh, this is a Greek word, you know, or whatever. The word you were looking for, I believe, is parad- yes. paradolia. Yeah, that's it. Not anitis. Paradolia-itis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were close, Kenzar, but don't worry, I'll help. Paradolia-itis. Thank you for the assistance, Jake. You're very welcome. I knew, I knew you'd have my back. Yeah, so if someone's, you know, like uh, like people, we we are, some would say we're evolved or designed to see faces and to recognize faces because it, you know, like the faces of animals and stuff, predatory animals, to be able to be aware of danger and stuff. And that's why we see faces in clouds and in, you know, nature and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. I imagine it could be the same thing for someone who heard, could hear something and say that, you know, I associate it with this, even if it has nothing to do with each other. Maybe that's a case right there, or maybe that's just, you know, someone's adding some fluff to the story of this beast said something to me, and then 
it just so happens to be a, a Greek name of a city or something like that. Good to go. Hmm? Ready? I feel like I'm doing all the dang talking here. You are. Okay, that's why. <laughs> it's that perindalitis. <laughs> Mark Shackleman's early account of an upright walking canine like creature was not the only one to come from the onslaught of media coverage. Around the same time, Mrs. Godfrey received a letter from Mrs. Robert Bushman of St. Nazians, of St. Nazians, Nazian, of St. Nazians, whatever, much further north of Elkhorn. The entire letter can be read on page 31 of Linda S. Godfrey's book, The Beast of Bray Road, and I will not read the full letter. Instead, I will highlight the information regarding the creature that was witnessed. The letter describes how the couple were on their way to Rockford, Illinois, to see his mother in her nursing home, when they passed through the area at around 10 a.m. on November 30, 1991. They were traveling along a road when out in a field along the road, they saw what they believed to be a deer being chased by a hunter. But they soon found out that it was no deer as the creature ran across the road in front of their car. The creature was on all fours and looked like a very large wolf. It was black, and they did not witness the animal walking on two legs. One thing that Mr. Bushman was adamant about was that it was not a normal wolf. It was way too big. In the letter, Mrs. Bushman tells Miss Godfrey that her husband is happy to hear that others have seen the creature and that they did not witness the animal on Bray Road, but it was in between the area between Elkhorn and Delavan. In a follow-up phone interview with Robert Bushman, he described the creature as too skinny to be a bear, and that it reminded him more of a panther figurine that used to sit on his nightstand as a child, but that he was 100% certain that this creature was not a panther. He told Godfrey how the vehicle was about 100 feet away from the animal when it crossed the road in front of him in daylight hours. He said it could have been a large breed of dog, but the way it moved was too strange and fast to be a normal domesticated dog. What about that one? Say things. This person has never seen a deer or a wolf in their life. <laughs> you know, like, there's no way. How can it be too big to be a wolf, but also possibly could be a domesticated dog? But also looks more like a panther, but it's not a panther. But was originally a, a, a deer being chased by a hunter. This person has never been outside before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was the weirdest description I've I've heard in a while. Just like it, I thought it was a deer, but then it was a wolf. But it was too big to be a wolf. It was probably a panther. It looked just like this panther figurine, but it wasn't a panther. I'd be like, dude, I don't know what you're smoking, but it must be great. <laughs> what do you think about that <laughs> horrible description? <laughs> I think. Hey, everybody. Bear with us while we take this quick break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. See, I've been in a situation where I've seen something that I wasn't ready to see. And I don't know. Like sometimes I question my own sighting. You know, I, I constantly try to think about going back in time and, and seeing the strange thing that I saw and determining whether it could have been something different. You know, maybe this was just something that they just weren't ready to see. And uh, maybe their their point of view was a little messed up. I don't know. Just saying. Mm. Calling it a penguin when it was a puffin is different than calling it a panther hunter wolf dog i'm trying to think about like if i've ever been in a situation where my adrenaline spiked completely up and i may have falsified like or my brain may have run wild into thinking that something was happening when it wasn't and i'm drawing a blank Jeremy and I have both seen some some crazy stuff, but I mean, just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been in a situation like that. Okay, so I, I I've been run over by a car before. It sucked, and all like everybody thought that I was making the story a lot bigger than it was, and that's all I can think of here is that they thought they what they saw it was ten times bigger than what it actually was. And that's what they're describing is just what their mind created the 10 time bigger story than because that that that's why I related it back to my car accident because that's how it looking back at it now I probably was embellishing the story a little bit and thought it was 10 times worse than it actually was. Well, I was an 18 year old kid. (gasps) Don't discredit yourself. I got smashed by a car one time. (laughs) <laughs> I don't wish that upon the worst enemy, but that's a whole other thing. So. Oh, it's not even that bad. They can get hit by cars. It's it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had a guy in a PT Cruiser, a uh, 92-year-old man, fly through red light and hit me on my bicycle, and I used it like a ramp and slammed my head off the ground. I was fine. <laughs> Moving along. All right. Let's in, in any case. Yeah. <laughs> in any case, um... Yeah, maybe if you already had a bias, if you already had some, you know, for how long these stories and sightings and, you know, who's saying what to who has been going on. If you already had a bias that you were going to see something or that or some sort of a, a, a monster or mysterious creature that was out there, and then you s- just were startled by, you know, a deer running or a wolf running or whatever, I mean, your mind could just race to a bunch of different things, but... From, I don't know. Those are just two totally different shapes. Like I could print out just some black silhouettes of a deer versus a wolf versus a panther. And if I were to just be like, do they all look the same? You guys would be like, no, there's no way. You know, they're completely different shapes. The only thing that's similar between them is that they're mammals. You know, and <laughs> just like, but it's just, I, I don't know. I'm having a really hard time with most of these sightings. Like, finding the part in it where I'm just like, ah, yes, this is valid. 
so far, I agree. But I definitely save the best stuff for last. Don't worry. Is it more ridiculous? Yes. <laughs> Does it involve awesome. Bigfoot and UFOs together collabing? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, let's get into the next story. We're not even halfway done with them. Oh, goodness. <laughs> On a February night in 1996, a man by the name of Glenn North was driving west on Highway 12 when a creature came out of the ditch on the side of the road. North describes the creature running in front of his truck as he was driving roughly 60 miles per hour, and he came so close to hitting the animal that it completely disappeared from his sight as it ran past the front of his truck. Lucky for him, he did not hit that creature, and it just kept running across the highway and either through or over a fence and just kept going. It all happened so fast, but North was able to get a few details. The creature had an elongated snout, long, dark, and shaggy fur, large, pointy ears that laid flat back as it ran, and very long legs. The creature most resembled a wolf, but much, much larger. An anonymous couple living in LaGrange off Highway 12 also witnessed a strange creature when they were traveling home one night in August of 1990. The creature was positioned by a fence when both parties witnessed it stand and stare at them with glowing golden eyes. They described it as standing seven to eight feet tall, and due to it being just in the tree line, they only noticed the silhouette and how far apart the glowing eyes seemed to be. The couple described their position in relation to the creature as it being in front of their car at an intersection where the only choices were to turn left or right. The headlights shined through the fence and then illuminated the creature and the wood line it stood in about 20 yards back from the fence. During an interview with the couple, the wife recalled a story that was told to her as a child growing up in LaGrange about the bluff man. Parents would tell stories of a wild man running through the woods at night, killing game and livestock. Do either of those change anything? That first encounter, they weren't sure they can tell you the snout and the legs and the hair, but couldn't tell you if they went over or through the fence. True. Like, that's a detail. You'd notice if the fence was broken mm -hmm. or not broken. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not getting hung up on that one, to be honest with you. I think that if it's a, a wolf, if they just perfectly described a wolf but said it was much bigger, it could have been a dire wolf, like that video we saw uh, last year. Yeah, and, and that's another... Massive out. black wolf. I mean, that was... Mm -hmm. I don't even know if that was... I don't think that was a dire wolf, but it was certainly the biggest dang wild dog I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like Wolves are huge, though. Like, I I didn't realize how big a wolf actually was. Yeah, Ken's are. I'll show like, you. They're, they're huge. I'll send you the video later, Caitlin. I'll show you. This, I'll send you the same one, probably Jeez. tomorrow because I'm going to go to sleep right after this. But it's it's um, crazy. This is much bigger than than what you're thinking about. Um, but the second cool. one, it wouldn't have been a wild man because again, uh, the reflecting eyes. You know, I, I think that's a pretty common thing for people to describe. Instead of, it'd be like saying. A shiny diamond. Well, diamonds don't shine. Diamonds reflect light. But most people, you know, wouldn't describe it as that. In the same way, most people wouldn't say uh, the reflection of their eyes versus glowing eyes. 
So I think that's really the thing to kind of latch on to because that would describe, again, an animal versus a person, um, if it was anything. And then the golden color as well, you know, my dog's eyes. I only have one dog who's actual, the color of her eyes are golden, but that light that reflects back is sometimes golden in color depending on which, you know, kind of angle their their head is, the reflection of it, you know. Yeah. I honestly have really no issues with either of those two encounters. Besides besides what Caitlin said with the with the fence thing. I think that is an important detail, but you know. I I think it's it, it's probably one of those things where they just weren't looking at the animal when it did whatever it did at the fence. Maybe mm-hmm. they thought it was going to stop at the fence, but instead when they went to go look back at it, uh it was just on the other side. So whether it was going through it or over it or under it, Maybe they didn't. They just mm-hmm. missed it. Yeah, and that, that's just that's just my opinion. You know. You ready to move on? Yep. All right. Let's talk about the Brickta encounter. In August of 1992, a young man by the name of Max Brickta and his friend Chris Maxwell witnessed something that, when reiterated to Brickta's mother, made her very concerned. Max's mother reported the sighting as she was concerned about how her son was acting. After telling her about the encounter, she was quoted saying, he's six foot five. He's no coward. Listen, yes, he is. The story starts with Brickta and his friend driving on a foggy road when the car slammed into something. Max stopped the car and got out to investigate what they hit and immediately noticed the horrific smell coming through the open windows. As he looked to the back end of the car from the driver's seat, he was shocked to see what he hit was huge and hairy, and the only thing he could see clearly was a large, hairy hand reaching out of the fog. The boys sped away and found two police cruisers stopped along Highway 106 and approached them with his story, as well as called in to the sheriff's office himself when he got home. When Godfrey questioned one of the officers who responded that night, he told her about another call that came in 30 minutes after the Brickta boy told him about his story. The call was in reference to a large, black, hairy animal in the ditch close to where Max's accident had happened. The man who called it in said it looked like a bear by his guess, but could have been anything, honestly. When the officer arrived to see what it was, it was gone. During Max Brickta's interview with Linda Godfrey, He did mention how he had heard of the Beast of Bray Road and that it was his first thought when he saw the animal laying in the road. He was familiar with all of the wildlife around the area and was certain it was not a bear or a coyote. Brickta not only saw the creature once, but twice. The second encounter happened when he and his friend Scott Friedman were driving on the same stretch of road sometime in October of the same year. This time, the fading light of dusk was present, and the boys witnessed the creature about 20 feet from the road. The creature stood shoulder height in line with six-foot corn stalks lining the side of the road. The creature stood shoulder height in line with the six-foot... The creature described the creature's legs as being that of a dog's and very muscular. The fur was long and black and the creature raised its legs before entering the cornfield if, if it were stepping over something. Brickta 
notified Linda Godfrey immediately, and she and the boys took off to investigate the area. Just inside the area where Max claimed the creature walked into the corn, there was a large matted down area that looked similar to a deer bed, but this was too large to be for one deer. If deer were to use this, it would easily house up to five. To be fair about this second encounter, though, Godfrey does mention that it was public knowledge that there was a producer from Los Angeles in the area wanting to make a movie about the now-famous Beast of Bright Road. With the second sighting popping up around the same time as the producer being in town, the second encounter does seem a little fishy, but the nesting area that they had discovered looked to be done by something with some real size to it and made Max's story more convincing. So what do you think? I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, crop circles aren't that hard to make. One person can do a crop circle. What what's stopping one person from making what's to what's supposedly a bed in the corn? Good point. Good point. Very good point. Especially if there's a producer in town at the time as well. What's stopping him from making his own? His own little story to get his movie going. But what about the first one? I mean, totally understand the second encounter, right? But the first encounter, before any of this happened, do you think this was just some kid that was out to, you know, take advantage of the local urban legend or and try to get some notoriety? Or what, what do you think this is? That I don't know. That kid could just be an overactive imagination. Agreed. Once again, very well could just be kids making up stories because that's what kids do. Yeah, that whole driving down the foggy road thing, and they hit it, and then they they saw a large hairy hand reaching out of the fog. That's weird. Sounds a little cinematic, doesn't it? Yeah, that sounds like something you'd see from the movie The Mist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then. This other guy was just like, like, yeah, I saw something over there in the ditch, which was right by where the accident happened. And he was like, it looked like a bear to me. I don't know. I think that the person who said that it looked like a bear was more than likely telling the truth. And the the kid who maybe hit the bear and then later on admitted, oh, well, I have heard about these things, but I'm sure it wasn't that. It's just like, but I saw this creepy hand reaching out of the fog at me like the fog <laughs> was so dense that this is the only thing i could see and i'm just like mm-hmm. i'm i'm sure sounds sketchy doesn't it yeah now this guy needs to needs to drive more carefully in the fog so he's not just slamming into to bears and stuff you know poor bear yeah this is one of the more popular stories for the beast of bray road i don't know why because it sounds cool. It, that's probably what it is. It's just the the cinematic feeling of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Or what do you what do you get when you watch a horror movie? You get that hand coming out of the fog. Yeah, or out of the darkness, and it's the only thing that's lit up is the hand reaching, and the person can't see it, and then grabs them. Yeah, it's just it's it's very weird. I agree. What do you think, Caitlin? I definitely have to say you guys hit it. Like, there's. Just certain details where maybe were embellished. Um, yeah. <laughs> especially in that first one. <laughs> maybe not existent. 
until they spoke it into reality. Um, but that the second one, it's definitely possible, even if it's not the producer, some other, you know, townie went and was like, hey, let's get our town some attention and, you know, went about helping make this crop circle. Especially, I mean, one person can do it, but if you have, you know, a, a couple people in on it, it would take a couple hours. No one would notice you, you know, going in and out. I think what happened here is this kid smoked a fucking family dog, some big oh, black yeah. dog, and was like, it's the beast. <laughs> and I did and, you a service. <laughs> and, you know, in order to not get in trouble with his mom, you know, he said he hit like a werewolf instead of somebody's poor domesticated dog. And the, the guy who rode by just saw this big black, you know, mound of fluff on the side of the road and was like, looks like a bear. You know, hmm. maybe it was just a big dog. Maybe it was a bear. Maybe he smoked a bear. I don't know. But I, I, I think he did hit something, but it, you know, you're thinking of how things used to go down as when I was a kid, it was like, no, I wasn't, drinking a screwdriver it was just regular orange juice you know? <laughs> <laughs> um gotta be a big bear or a big like, dog yeah a, a, small small bear big, big dog, dog. Yeah. yeah small bear big dog like look at look at the damage a deer causes to a car yeah oh i i can only it. imagine what a bear would do so i'm i would lean more towards the dog but then you've got a witness say, "Oh, this thing's this thing's huge, so it's got to it's got to be a big dog." But yeah, I mean, I don't know if this means it adds anything to the story, but unfortunately, one of my coworkers just last week or two weeks ago uh, hit a lab in their car uh. and totaled the car. I mean, it unfortunately killed the dog. Didn't he? Didn't see it. He was going like. 50 miles an hour and it totaled his car um and he just got all the insurance money for it so i mean it doesn't have to be necessarily that big to cause a significant amount of damage yeah. at like high speeds but certainly if it was as big or so big that someone could be you know able to mistake it for a bear if it was a, a canine then i mean it would either have to be a factor of low speed impact or, you know, like the engine block came out of this car. <laughs> like, well, know? yeah, but if if it was super foggy to the point where like they could barely see through yeah. it, they could have and should have been yeah you going so, right? a slower speed, right? The other thing with the the second encounter with the bed down area, I'm not really hung up on that because. I mean, they say it right here. They're like, it's like a deer bed, but it's bigger. I mean, or far too large for one deer. Okay, so maybe it was two deer or three deer. I don't know, you know. <laughs> maybe it was just, you know, a spot where the deer like to bed down at. I agree with what both of you two were saying about the someone making crop circles and people have shown how easy that is to do. And certainly there being a movie producer that wants to do a movie on the Beast of Bray Road, that would add some incentive to to start like 
you know, planting things around the city and just being like, like, oh man, look at what just happened over here. Someone found its bedding area and all this sort of stuff, you know, to kind of <laughs> add to the, the story and the, the mystery behind it. Or it could have just been that someone stumbled upon like a large deer bedding area. I don't really know if deer bed down together, but regardless, you know, it doesn't add to or take away from anything for me. But certainly that that encounter in the fog was very over dramatized. <laughs> just <laughs> like, a wee bit, huh? And just, just <sighs> creeping out of the fog. <laughs> and then it grabbed my coat, but I pulled away. <laughs> reading some horror stories before yeah right before they hit the road <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's talk about one of the the people who the the road is named after or at least the family beast scott beast, beast road. scott beast <laughs> <laughs> scott bray is in fact a member of the family in which bray road is named after Scott's own encounter with the beast happened at dusk in the fall of 1989. Although very reluctant and not a believer at all in the legend, Scott has gone on record a few times, once for Strange Magazine in 1992, about the animal that disappeared behind a rock pile on his property. Mr. Bray was outside working on the farm when he noticed a wolf or coyote-like animal in his cow pasture. He stopped watched the creature for a while, and made note about some unfamiliar details about the creature's physical attributes. The animal was big, much bigger than any coyote he had ever seen, and bigger than a small handful of wolves that he had seen throughout the years. The fur was long and scraggly, and at certain times it looked like the fur was silver-tipped. Ah, silver. But the one feature that he said stood out to him the most was how wide the chest was. He never witnessed the animal on two legs, but he could tell that the chest was enormous, and he continued to watch the creature roam his property. The creature climbed a stone pile and went down the far side away from Scott's field of view. So he walked down there, only armed with a large stick, and when he got to the far side of the rock pile, he was shocked to see that there was nothing there but very big, canine-like prints in the ground that measured about four inches wide and almost five inches long. Scott Bray is not a fan of the stories and rumors, and wished that the whole thing would just go away. He does not believe that he witnessed the same creature that everyone else claims to have seen. Instead, he thinks that what he saw was a sick coyote or wolf. That's a dang big paw print. That is a huge paw print. <laughs> That's a massive paw print. It was a kangaroo. It was the it was the broad chest that gave it away for me, and then the long the long print. Yeah, but the, the kangaroos, kangaroos kangaroos prints are long, long like yeah, <laughs> sixteen inches, and they're thin. They're like two inches wide and sixteen inches long. You know what? It was a big kangaroo. It's, it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay, it was a kangaroo. The kangaroo was on its tiptoes. Okay. Yeah. Tip come on. Tiptoe through the tulips. Um Yeah, I don't know why he would have seen something that was so big. I mean, coyotes are small. 
they're not I mean, I guess they they can be vicious when they're all packed up together, but they're usually small and pretty scared of people. Um mm-hmm. saw a coyote pretty recently on base. Um cuz we kind of live out in the boonies or like the bases out in the boonies. But um and wolves are big, right? And so he sees something that he says it's bigger than a, than the handful of wolves he's seen. But he goes to investigate it armed with a large stick. <clears throat> so honestly, if he had been like mauled, I wouldn't have been like, oh, what a tragedy. <laughs> I've been like, well, you know, you ever heard of the Darwin Awards? You know? <laughs> like, yeah, you had that one coming. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. Well, we've got six more. Let's move on. Ready? Yep. A farmer from Elkhorn by the name of Mike Etten or Mike Eaton witnessed something he now thinks may have been the creature that everyone else claims to have seen one night in March of 1990. Mike does admit that he did, in fact, have a few drinks that night, but was nowhere near too drunk to drive or hallucinate. The creature was on the side of the road, sitting like how a raccoon would sit on its haunches, eating something in its hands. As Mike drove by and realized that this was something unfamiliar, he slammed on the brakes to get a better look. But it was gone. Mike believes that whatever it was crossed the road and disappeared into a forest of evergreens on the other side of the road. Until he heard the Andrezi story, he honestly thought he had witnessed a strange-looking bear but now believes that he just may have witnessed the famed Beast of Bray Road. We're going to move right into the next one here. Martha Kirkman witnessed a brown, shaggy-furred animal as she looked out of her in-law's window on Easter of 1992. The creature was on all fours and was lazily trotting around. But what was strange was that Martha didn't know what it was. It was too big to be any canine she was aware of, and too small to be a cow. (laughs) Another one. (laughs) Her sighting of the animal was very short and ended with the creature simply wandering into the tree line and disappearing. The next morning, Martha and her neighbor Peggy were on their daily morning walk when Peggy made a comment about seeing a strange animal that night. The ladies matched descriptions to a T, and Martha began to get more curious about the mystery animal. Both women did not believe the animal to be a werewolf or any kind of supernatural being, and Martha still lives in the same neighborhood and has still not seen anything closely resembling the creature she saw on Easter of 1992. So we had a couple of not so very interesting uh, encounters there, right? Not personally, I don't see anything too big between the two of them. I mean, this lady must have have never seen either of those two things to <laughs> say that a dog or a cow, a dog or a cow. I don't know why they always say like, uh, "I wasn't too drunk to hallucinate." <laughs> I have never like I used to be a raging alcoholic. And I have never been so drunk that I, halluc- I hallucinated. Because 
alcohol isn't a hallucinogenic. Um, that's always funny that when that's that's mentioned, you know, they're like, like, oh, they were drinking, they could have been hallucinating. Be like, no, <laughs> they could have been asleep <laughs> and having a terrible dream. Um, Seeing six of what six things at once, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, if you want to call that hallucinating, then okay, you know. Yeah, that's that's weird that she would say that she she could tell that it was brown and had shaggy fur. And it was on all fours, lazily trotting around, but had no idea if it was a cow or a big dog. <laughs> this sounds like a bear to me. Somewhere between the size of a dog and a cow. Yeah, lazily trotting around. Long brown shaggy fur. Sounds like a brown black bear. Probably. That's what it yeah. sounds like to me. Oh, I see. And too small to be a cow. But that still is a weird description. Well, you could say smaller than a cow not too small to be a cow because that's insinuating that it could be a cow or a dog that's the way i was listening to it the other one i don't have any opinions on it ladies you ready to roll yep yes sir a woman by the name of jessica anderson had a very scary encounter with an unknown canine creature in 1998 mrs anderson appeared on the show in search of to tell the story of how she believed she was almost lunch for the creature. It began shortly after giving birth to her youngest of three children in a community in Lake Geneva. She was in the bottom floor of her in-law's house, and where she was relaxing, there was a window that was level with the ground. Everything was great until she heard a scratching sound at the window. As she turned to look, she witnessed a very large, dog-like creature pushing its face up against the window and snarling at her. It was the teeth of the animal that she heard scratching on the window, and the animal was using its snout to try to get into the house. She immediately left the room, and the creature disappeared. So another one, kind of hard to say what's going on here, but all i got to say is imagine being in her situation, right? It sounds like she's in like a basement, and the window is like one of those tiny yeah. rectangular windows. And this thing's just like, ooh, lunch. Imagine being in her position having to make up a story like this. Jeez. <laughs> well, I guess we see where Jake's at on this one. I'm just messing. You're not messing. I'm not messing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, ladies? Nothing? No, I think it's probably mistaken identity, like a raccoon or something. It just doesn't make sense. How Do you know how hard it would be to get your teeth to make noise on a window? I can't imagine it feels good either. No, and if you're using your nose to try to lift the window, how are you doing that simultaneously grabbing onto the window with your yeah. teeth? Like, it just doesn't... I think some of the fear has altered some of the the truth. Versus, like... It's sure maybe a canine and it's trying to push the window open with its nose and, and nuzzling into it and stuff. And she got startled by it and said, Oh, and it over dramatized yeah. it. Yeah, it's right. the beast. Right. It's could the just beast. Be a, <laughs> could just be a random dog. Yeah. Uh, right. Neighbor's dog got loose and it smells your 
KFC or something. It's a yeah. beagle. It's the beast. <laughs> <laughs> I've got yeah. a beagle somewhere around here. Yeah. <laughs> Just over there. Roo, 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 roo. It's the beast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get into the last four. Now, these last four have a little bit more to them. Let's talk about my favorite one. Katie Zahn. You know someone named that. I do. No way. Not, not Zahn, but yeah. Not Zahn, just Katie. Yeah. Katie Zahn and three of her friends were out and about one day in western Rock County, about a 40-minute drive from Bray Road. A group of friends were hanging out in a local field and began to hear snarls and growls from what she said was a few hundred yards away. As the teenagers approached the sound, they were surprised to find a tall, wolf-like creature on two legs running at them. The friends turned around and ran back to their cars and drove off as fast as they can. Katie Zahn also appeared on the History Channel show Monster Quest Season 1's Episode 14 titled Monster Quest Legend of the American Werewolf. Very early in the episode, Katie tells a completely different story about how she and her friends were driving around when they came across a bridge near a local state park. They thought because it was rumored to be a place the Wisconsin Wolfman creature was frequently spotted at, they might as well get out and have a look. As the group traveled down the hill next to the bridge, they discovered three wolf-like creatures squatting down next to the river drinking water out of their hands. The friends turned around and ran back to their car and drove off. Immediately after, she tells her story to Monster Quest. Monster Quest then puts her to a polygraph test, and the man submitting her to the test ruled her as no deception detected. The only thing I'm concerned about here is why did she tell two completely different stories, and how the hell did she pass a polygraph test if she was obviously bullshitting? Go ahead. Because she's a sociopath. <gasps> Whoa. Yep. That's why she doesn't care about people lying she to people's faces. She already believes her story. It doesn't matter which one she tells. Yep. Yep. If you believe it, then according to the polygraph, you're telling the truth. Especially if she's actually sociopathic. Mm-hmm. They They... They feed off of other people's emotions. They don't have their own emotions. So she could, for all we know, she really is sociopathic and just telling a story that she came up with. And because she doesn't have her own emotions, she doesn't actually know how to react to it without feeding off of somebody else. Hmm. Man, I'm not going to lie. I don't know too much about sociopaths. So. Dang sociopaths. In November of 2006, at about one o'clock in the morning, a man by the name of Steve Kruger was driving along back roads of the area as he was contracted by the Department of Natural Resources to pick up roadkill that night. The event happened as he pulled over on Holly Hill Road to pick up a dead deer off of the side of the road. Steve got out of the truck, grabbed the deer's corpse, and threw it into the bed of his truck. He then jumped back into the truck, and as he began to fill out the paperwork, he felt the truck shake. He simply shrugged it off until he felt the truck do it again, only this time much more violently. He turned his head to see what was going on and locked eyes with a tall, dark, long-haired, wolf-like man-creature reaching over his tailgate, pulling the deer's corpse out of his truck. What do you guys think? Nope. 
No. No. What do you think, ladies? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strong kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think uh something stronger than alcohol had that guy hallucinating. That's a great story to tell if you miss the deer that you're shooting for. <laughs> Just say that the beast stole it from the back of your truck. <laughs> he was contracted to pick up roadkill, not hunt it. Oh yeah, okay. We'll move along. Ricky Sanchez is an investigator of the phenomenon and has witnessed a pack of these creatures on his property almost 100 miles north of Elkhorn near Huracan Marsh. One night in 2017, Ricky spotted the silhouette of a large something in the beam of the light produced by his headlamp. As he began to walk towards the figure in order to get a better look at what it was, it began to take steps backwards at a pace that seemed to match Sanchez. The eyes of the creature were reflecting a red glow from the light of his headlamp. But other than that, Ricky claimed to be able to see very little of the creature, other than its vague outline. Soon after Sanchez and the creature began this matching of steps, the creature hastily stood up and grew to a height of roughly seven feet tall, and it continued to stand, completely quiet and motionless, until Ricky backpedaled to his front door to let his dogs in. By the time he returned, it was gone. Over the next couple weeks, many more sightings would occur, including his witnessing of strange shapes and creatures traveling through the tree lines around his house. On one occasion, Ricky witnessed a few sets of red shining eyes staring back at him from the woods. He didn't know what they were, but he knew that what he had seen multiple times now were what looked to be upright walking wolves of massive size wandering on and off his property. This caused him to look into the phenomenon of dogmen, werewolves, and eventually the beast of Bray Road. Soon after the event started on Ricky's farm, the action began to spread into his neighbor's land as well. One morning at 2 a.m., Ricky's neighbor went out to start his truck to begin his drive to work. When he came back out of his house, he came face to face with a creature resembling a wolf with two legs pacing in his headlights between him and his truck. The creature stopped and stared at him, and then simply walked off into the dark. Soon after this encounter, Ricky was sitting on his property with his neighbor and his dad enjoying a bonfire. When they were done with the night and threw water on the fire, they noticed one of the creatures hunched over a few yards away, watching their activities. Soon after it realized it was spotted, it retreated into a brush along Ricky's property on two legs. What do you guys think about that? I want Kenzar to go first. <laughs> I don't know. The story's kind of... I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I think you're right. I think it does have some some sketchy aspects to it. Some Definitely some weird stuff going on. You know, it's like, hmm... Sounds a little embellished. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if there are creatures around the area, such as that of a dog man, this doesn't sound too far-fetched. I don't know. There's something about this story. Bo- and, uh, yeah, there's something about it that uh, <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't sit right within the rest of it. 
You think Caitlyn? I think this guy either has really bad luck or really good luck, depending on how you look at it. I mean, how many different encounters can he have? And not just one, but a group of them. Well, you also have three witnesses, too. You have him, his neighbor, and his dad. So, I mean, this is... I mean, could they all be fucked up? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. But I think it's more... I mean, it's more likely that something was there. That they saw something. But not necessarily the same thing that they're claiming to see. Something between the size of a rat and an elephant, right? Right. (laughs) Exactly. Or what was it before? A loaf of bread and a minivan, I think. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Jake? Okay, so... I want to go back a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, Steve Kruger. I think okay. that he was biased to think it was the Beast of Bray Road, but in fact it was a Sasquatch that was pulling the dead deer out of the back of his truck. I also think that too. Um, I, that was actually my argument for that one, but go ahead. And then for Ricky Sanchez, the issue that I have is that if you if we're going to assume based off of the sightings and the stories and, and stuff, they probably spend most of their time on four legs, or at least on all fours to move quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when this thing retreated to the brush along Ricky's property on two legs, it must not have been that great of a retreat. You know what I'm saying? Like, it yeah. should have... I don't know. It doesn't make any I, sense. I would think that these creatures are more comfortable on all fours. Kind of like, like a bear. It prefers to walk around on all fours, but only gets up on hind legs when it's trying to reach up into the trees or trying to look threatening. Mm-hmm. That that would be my guess. Is this this thing's a lot more comfortable on four legs than it is on two legs? So four legs, two legs. If it's retreating slowly, it's definitely not threatened. That's for sure. So here goes a question for you guys, right? Mm-hmm. How many other creatures in the world do you know that can go from four to two? Great apes. Basically, it right. Yeah, awful Great lot of apes. time walking around on their hind legs. But when they need to go someplace quickly, they drop down to all fours and they haul. Haul ass. Yeah. And what is the biological advantage of standing upright? Being taller, more threatening, being able to reach higher, uh, being able to look out at stuff. You know, if you're alert and you're standing up like prairie dogs, they do that. They stand up on all on their two legs so they can look up higher and be more observant. Yeah. So all of the the sightings where these things were standing up on two legs, I think are a little sketchy, especially. Okay. Let me reiterate. Let me re say that everything where it says it was running on two legs is sketchy. Right. Now I actually went back through the, the sightings uh, just before we did the episode today. And, you know, looking at the ones on, that we're talking about four legs, like the fact, you know, just mm-hmm. to bring one up, for example, the one where it ran in front of the headlights and uh, Caitlin had said, well, why didn't you notice it going through the fence? You know, 
that was one I didn't have a problem with that. You know, um, it's much more believable. And uh, like if, if there was an encounter where it was on two legs and it dropped, like you literally the person saw them drop down the four legs. You know, even even the one uh, with, uh, I think, the the Mr. Bray, right, where the, the creature was walking around on four legs and he, you know, went down past the, the rock pile. And by the time he got down there with his deadly stick, he, uh, <laughs> you know, it was gone again. Yeah, I could believe it. You know, who knows mm-hmm. where that thing went? Right, went to its cave, probably, or its den, rather. If we're talking about animals, you know. So we have one sighting left, and this one's my favorite. I purposely left this one for last. I love this one. You guys ready? Does it involve hand with it. out of the fog? No, it does not. <laughs> then I'm down. We're going to talk about Lee Hample. Lee Hample was a math and physics high school teacher for Wakanda High School in Wakanda, Illinois, until the year 2000, before he bought a hayfield between Bray Road and Bowers Road. In 2013, he asked a few of his neighboring farmers to assist him in lifting hay bales, and after the men were done, his neighbors told him that the beast of Bray Road lives on his property. His reaction was, yeah, right. And he honestly thought they were joking with him. They told him about how the creature has an affinity for eating roadkill and that one of the men's wives witnessed the animal eating a dead raccoon on the side of the road one night. One night, shortly after, he was driving home when he saw a dead raccoon on the side of the road. He pulled over, scooped it up with a shovel, and threw it into the bed of his truck. When he got home, he brought the carcass out to his tree line and left it there for a few days. When he finally went back to check on it, the carcass was moved, and there was a clean cut right down the center of the animal's underside, with a pile of its organs laying next to it. Soon after, he found another dead animal on the side of the road, and this time, it was a 20-25 to pound badger. Lee dug a hole near the same place he left the raccoon, and placed the badger inside of the hole. A few days later, he came back. The badger was 15 feet away from the hole, with no trails or signs as to what moved it. This made it apparent to him that someone was coming onto his property and messing with him. He purposely used a heavy animal this time, in a hole that was a few feet deep, to ensure that this was no animal. A bird wouldn't be able to lift a 20-pound badger out of a hole and any other animal would have a lot of trouble lifting out without making the hole cave in or getting trapped in the hole itself. So this led him to only one answer. People. So Lee bought cameras for his property, and this is where the weirdness begins. Over the next four years, he documented many different animal corpses and the mutilation that ensued, all without getting hard evidence as to who the culprit actually was. But what he did get was strange indeed. Pictures of lights floating around, objects in the sky, and even a picture of red eyes peering back to his camera are just a few of the anomalies that Lee has photographed proof of. And you can see these at the end of the documentary, The Bray Road Beast, free with an Amazon Prime description. One particular deer carcass was the subject of one of Lee's most bizarre events 
captured on film. The corpse was on the edge of his property for between three and four years before one day it was gone. Lee got excited because he had a camera perfectly placed facing the deer, so he knew he finally got the culprit. But when he got the recording, all he saw was a bluish mist coming into the view of the camera, and by the time it left, the corpse was gone. But when he went back to the place where the corpse was located, he found a very large trackway of large five-toed, seven-padded tracks that led from the area of the deer corpse to over a barbed wire fence and away from his property that disappeared when it came to a road past the next field. Lee casted the tracks and has them in his possession still. He brought the casts and pictures of the trackway to many different agencies to try to get them identified. Agencies such as the Field Museum, the DNR, a tracking expert, and the University of Wisconsin. From all of these sources, he got answers such as, these were made by a person on stilts, these are not animal tracks, and this was made by an abnormal coyote. Lee no longer questions the legend. In fact, now he has focused his attention to proving its existence and filling in the blanks that go along with the beast of Bray Road, such as the strange lights and objects in the sky. So what do you guys think? I have several issues with this, but I want to go last. Okay. Ladies, who's going first? Caitlin, go for it. <laughs> I think my biggest issue is uh, the description of the the footprint like the lights and all that we can cash into but they're like something with that big of a footprint is going to be seen in that camera mm-hmm. At least also one. seven padded right yeah, that's weird you think about it like what i i googled seven padded footprints i that's a big go- foot i googled Freaking, uh, all kinds of things, all kinds of things. But I'll I'll get to this here whenever it gets to my turn. But I'll I definitely have some comments on this. Kenzer, now you have to go. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I was listening. You talked to that one, and for whatever reason, the word interdimensional came to my mind. Like one of your inter weird interdimensional creatures just showing up when it needs something for or wants to fuck with this guy, maybe. I see that. Can't 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 catch anything on camera. Well, maybe that's because you can't see the interdimensionals on on camera, or at least this one. Oh. Jake, do you want to go next or last? I'll go next. I shouldn't have waited because I've lost all my points except for one. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> even reading back over this, I'm not in the same, like, I can't conjure up the same thoughts. Um, Okay. The deer carcass that was left for three to four years. Um, There's really no reason why at that time frame it would have been moved because there would be nothing left but sun bleached bones mm-hmm. <laughs> um, i like that he keeps calling it a carcass except or a corpse 
where in that circumstance it would definitely be a skeleton. There would oh, be so that's that's my words, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. And I was just like, I was like, yes, yes. These this pile of bones, <laughs> <laughs> the sinew is completely gone, like from the bugs eating it up. Like it's just like, <laughs> okay, that's weird. Um. I mean, yes, there's weird stuff out there. Can I take every single ball of light and all this sort of stuff and say, oh, it's all dust particles? No. Uh, do I think it is? Yeah. You know, I'm not really phased by that sort of stuff. I do think it's it's very strange that he had the raccoon and that I I don't know if he attributed the raccoon being cut open with all of its internal organs spilled out as being associated with the beast of bray road because that doesn't make any sense whatsoever that sounds like some really weird messed up person messing with a guy um which happens right because if this thing has an affinity for eating roadkill it wouldn't for one leave the internal organs or the animal in general um the other part with the badger being in a hole and then it was found 15 feet away with no trails or signs as to what moved it. The first thing that I thought of before you went into the part where it said it was a 20 pound badger, um, you know, later on in the, in, in the little spiel was that it was a large bird. But we've already gone over that, that even like bald eagles can only lift you know, three to five pounds really aren't that impressive, right? So, okay, scratch that. So let's say it was a person that picked it up and walked it over and set it down for some reason, I guess. Um, I don't know. It just, the pad's definitely weird. To me, it sounds more like it's a double print, like an animal stepped down and then shifted its footing and stepped down again in the same spot and just double printed. A bear. Yeah, could be. A bear double printing or something like that. It's common. It just, to me this sounds like like someone's reaching by adding a lot of different um, separate events together and associating it with something in a way that no one else has associated it. And said, like, oh, it opened up this, you know, the stomach cavity of this raccoon and dumped all of its organs out on my truck bed. And and then it picked up this badger and carried it 15 feet, you know, wiping away its its prints and then and then set it down here. Um, and then there was these lights in the sky and all kinds of stuff. Well, no one else has described it like this. So either this guy actually found a be- the Beast of Bray Road for real. Like found out all the mystery, all the mystery around it, and all the craziness, or he's completely full of crap. Now I'm definitely gonna have to look up this uh, this documentary because I want to see that video or photographic evidence for myself. Hmm. That's at the end of it. Thank goodness for Amazon Prime, but <laughs> but I think that this sounds like a whole mess of separate events. Um, really weird that that he got answers like this is a person on stilts. It's like, uh, 
okay <laughs> you know that's that's a weird thing to hear from somebody it's like okay what what type of stilts <laughs> were they well the they using you gotta understand i'm paraphrasing when i when i say this right because i you know i'm not trying, trying to, to plagiarize. plagiarize yeah so i think that the original description was that um the guy said something along the lines of you know prints like this could be made by a man on stilts or something like that yeah i mean, i i guess it's possible i don't know man when when you guys watch the the documentary it's a good one it's definitely worth it anything by small town monsters is really good um there's tons of them and maybe not most of them but there are quite a bit of them on amazon for free mm-hmm. to watch um as long as you're you know, on prime so this is not free but uh it's called uh the bray road beast not the beast of bray road the bray road beast mm-hmm. very very good documentary does anybody else have anything to say before i go Oh, one more thing. I think that the part where it says um, that one of the, not specific, but one of the people that he showed the print to said, these are not animal tracks. I think that should be the biggest stick out to us because it looks like all these people that he showed these prints to would have a pretty good idea of if there's an animal out there, even if it was a very strange animal, what sort of prints would be made like how the impression would be deeper on one side or the other or whatever blah 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 blah. um yeah i don't know i think that it's just a a big old bunch of circumstances that happen over a period of years and he's attributing all to one animal which is not correct although in separate events they would be very strange very weird occurrences Hmm. i actually had a fun little question Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy, you said there's a Bigfoot in that area that's pretty violent. Uh, yeah, the the Gugwe. So, I can't imagine there being two big predators like that living cohesively in a forest. So, like, do we really think that these creatures are living side by side peacefully, or are they going at each other in the forest without us knowing? Well, here's the thing. Like, that that's my question, is are these animals, like, I can't see them both living there peacefully, so, like, it's got to be one or the other. You, if you look up, can I put a picture of this? Right, like two apex predators in one spot. They have to be some, have to have some kind of a territory range. Yeah, like, I can't see... I can't like I could see some major territory wars going on between these two creatures. Like, That's... I want to be alpha. Uh, I want to be the alpha of the of the forest. You can't be the alpha. That's why the that's why the badger moved because the Sasquatch picked it up and threw it at the dog man to get it to go away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the the Gugwe is its face is shaped more like a baboon. So it has that snout. Mm. And that's that's where I was really, really like that's why I put that in this episode or in this series was strictly because this is where what I think. I do think that uh this is a Bigfoot. At least the one that's on Lee Hample's property. 
mm-hmm. or the one that he's dealing with most of the time is a Bigfoot. And I think he's he's got something serious going on. UFOs are UFOs. You know, lights in the sky happen. That's regular occurrences. UFOs exist. Wait till you watch the documentary. There's one picture of something in the sky, and it's like, okay, cool. Got a picture of UFO. You know, <laughs> just like thousands and thousands of others. Um, but think of it like this. Jake, you'll you'll know a little bit about this. Uh, Kenzar, maybe, if she listened to, like, the really early stuff, and Caitlin doesn't know anything because she doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> so (laughs) i love you too caitlin anyways so one of our very first episodes in fact i think it was the first episode not the let us introduce ourselves but the one where we're prepping to talk to mike about his uh rougarou experience we dived into the honey island swamp monster and the rougarou the stink. Right. And do you yeah. remember one, yeah. of the, one of the footprints that's commonly found from Bigfoot have four toes and uh-huh. one offsetting? Yep. Right? And then the, the foot comes down more. And basically, if you think of it like this, right, Jake? Mm-hmm. Bigfoot have that, that arc in the middle. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that and break. When, yeah, they have that break. So it would cause one, two oh. pads, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh. What? Jeremy just blew this wide open. <laughs> so I I wish people could see this. They I, I showed my hand and you know I, I did a little thing. Basically the heel and then the ball of the foot and then the five appendages. Right. Yeah. Now they show the cast in the documentary, but it's from the side, and you can't, you don't get to see it from the top at all. Which you know, I've tried like googling. Fishiness. It does, and that does sound fishy. But when you watch the documentary and you listen to this guy talk about his experiences on his property and and what he's going through to try to do it, you know, and and like the feeling in his voice when he's talking about these people saying, you know, still it's like I don't have fucking people walking around on my property with stilts, you know? <laughs> I think yeah. this guy is this guy's having a blast on his property researching some strange shit. I really do. I, I think he's out there really trying to find out what's going on. And I think he's going to end up uh, finding out that he's got some big feats on his property. Now, is Bigfoot the, the end-all be-all answer to Beast of Bray Road? No idea. Couldn't tell you. But Bigfoot will run on all fours. Bigfoot will stand up on two legs. Bigfoot will run on two legs. Bigfoot will walk on two legs. Bigfoot will reach into the back of trucks, grab an animal. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Uh, the Gugwe is is a Bigfoot type creature that's more that looks more like a baboon than it would more of a gorilla, and is extremely violent. So it would know. chase kids, but it if it had a higher kids. level of intelligence, maybe not chase them to the point of attacking them. It would chase kids. Just to it scare would attack them. the back of a car. It would reach through the fog at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe it's not a kangaroo. That's what I think. 
Nice. Well, shoot, I, I, I like that better than what I was going to come yeah, up with. Yeah, I think he changed my mind. Maybe it's not a kangaroo. <laughs> just maybe. <laughs> maybe, think, just maybe. She's like, all these fucking nerds and their Bigfoot shit. <laughs> oh, no. no. Let's get back to her knitting. <laughs> oh, you know what? Sir, I've got one of these for you, too. <gasps> <laughs> Fair enough. I wasn't meaning well, anything I bad by it. Well, I can I can knit and listen. I'm just getting too into it to not listen and to do both. I can't count stitches and listen mm-hmm. as effectively. No, I definitely think that you guys, that, you know, what Jeremy said, it's definitely, I don't know. I'm going to butcher it if I try to say it in the Bigfoot family. The Gugwe? Mm-hmm. It's definitely, I mean, it makes sense. It makes more sense than a naked bear. The Gugwe is the Midwestern Bigfoot. They could be nasty. Well, yeah. You've lived here. It does that to you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That's all I've got, guys. That is my beast of Bray Road. You say that's all we've got, like we haven't been here for a few hours. Trust me, I've beaten this. I want to do my final thoughts real quick. So, Jeremy, I'm glad that you brought that up. That definitely changed my opinion because I came into this with a pretty extreme bias. I did do a little bit of research into this and, you know, take it for what it is. Could be true, could be false, whatever. But just prior to this, I stumbled upon a video on YouTube, and it's this older gentleman named James Sween, and he's standing with the Bray Road sign behind him. And he says in this thing, he's basically telling a story standing in front of this, this street sign, and he was going into details about how this hoax was come about, that this was originally brought about by a police officer of all types of people who loved playing pranks on people and convinced a couple people in the town to say that they saw this big, giant, wolf-like monster and that he took full responsibility for it and that they just absolutely exploded and that people were trying to make their own fame from it and stuff. And this was back in, this video is from 2019, that he was, in the very first part of the video, he's like, this is going to be very polarizing and I don't know if I should say this and he's just like he's like ah i'm not gonna make this he starts walking towards the camera he's like what you know whatever i'm just gonna say it and then he just starts going into this long explanation about how this whole thing got started and it was because he he knew this guy when he was a young man that was an adult and he was always playing pranks and he was a local cop and he started saying wouldn't it be cool if we could get people to start talking about this thing and start playing pranks on people and start making people in the town believe that there's a creature out there and that it just blew up from there. So I don't know if this guy's blowing smoke, if he's telling the truth. I have no idea. But that was the last thing I watched before coming on here, and I was just like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it just his posture, the way he was talking, it sounded pretty convincing. But I'm glad that you brought up your explanation of what it could be because although what he's saying could be true 
I don't believe that everybody that saw everything that they saw was just a case of mass hysteria. Mm -hmm. Especially with the distances. Especially if it's as rural as you guys are saying. And I'm certain that there's just tons of people out there that had experiences that were like, I just don't have time for this sort of stupid crap. You know, they're not trying to get people poking and prodding and wanting to know their story and all that stuff, but they had something to say and they had an experience. Not to make a sensationalizing, you know, story, but to just be like, hey, yeah, definitely saw something. So yeah, I can way more agree that it's this variant Sasquatch type creature versus a dog man or a werewolf or whatever it is. Um not to say that that couldn't exist, but I think that it's more likely that Sasquatch exists before I believe that Dogman exists. So that's how I'm kinda putting in my own brain. But yeah. It was definitely an interesting, you know, interesting couple episodes. I did have issues with the sightings being quite a bit varying depending on who was saying it. Could be a variation in the species. Could be, you know, hysteria. Could be, you know, panic because of adrenaline. A bunch of different things. But I definitely think that some people saw some stuff and maybe biased it into something else. But most people were probably just making it up. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you'd be surprised, man, going up there and all like the the untouched land and preserved land and state parks, state parks up the ass out there. Oh, I believe it. I bet it's absolutely gorgeous. And just in rural, just open, you know, no one's out there doing nothing. You know, you like corn. I do like corn. (laughs) (laughs) there's corn and soy. A lot of lot of soy out there. Snap. A lot, a lot of soy. Means a lot of durs. That that would definitely be a really cool place for us to go take an infinite rabbit hole trip, and it would be super easy for me to convince the wife to go. <laughs> yeah, and you know we got space, so we're gonna go get mauled by the dog man. Let's go, <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin. Thanks for coming on to the infinite rabbit hole. This is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks for letting me. It was nice. It was cool. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, that's been another episode of the Infinite Rabbit Hole. What do you think about the Beast of Bray Road? Monkey? Dog? Nothing? Let us know. Hit us up on the Infinite Rabbit Hole group on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, everything. Go to InfiniteRabbitHole.com. Click the contact button. Let us know through email. Hit the microphone button, too. Leave us a voicemail. By the way, if you are looking to do that, this is what we want you to say. Hey, everybody, this is me, and you're listening to the Infinite Rabbit Hole Podcast. If you have another podcast, it's a great great way for you to advertise. Say, hey, this is me from this podcast. Do whatever, okay? This is our our way of trying to get everybody that listens to the show more involved or other podcasts, get you guys some, some free advertisement. Other than that, I'd just like to say thank you, travelers, for coming by and and listening to me get to talk about one of these topics that are pretty near and dear to me. I, I really do enjoy this and, you know, I'm kind of upset myself that I didn't really get to go out there and do some more 
in-person investigations when I was there. But I'll fix that. Don't worry. Until next time, travelers. We'll see you right back here in the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Bye. Bye. Gotta say bye, Caitlin. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye, guys. Thank you.